On this podcast, we explore fantastical thinking, moral panics, urban legends, conspiracy theories, hoaxes, and crazes, examine the forces that shape our culture, and tell the stories that create the realities we share, and sometimes the realities we don't. I'm your ghost, Chelsea Weber-Smith, and this is American Hysteria. I put my eyes on it. Something changed inside me. Standing at 12 feet tall, these skeletons are everything this Halloween. But when I first met the 12-foot skeleton from Home Depot, it was like, wow, this might actually be the one. Go big this year with the 12-foot giant skeleton with Life Eyes technology. Happy Halloween, and thanks for shopping at the Home Depot. During the fall of 2020, the first 12-foot skeletons were seen towering over the unhinged humor of our pandemic-era social media, appearing as if from nowhere, like the mythic undead rising enormous from their green suburban graves. Our decades-long national obsession with Halloween skeleton decorations was already very apparent, with various sizes, colors, and accoutrements found at most every department store, grocery store, drugstore, hardware store, and gift shop, making their seasonal aisles into our very own American catacombs. For the last few years, we've scoffed at the anatomically incorrect skeletons of various animals and even insects that make absolutely no biological sense. And yet, in my home, a bones-only dog sits beside a half-size plastic skeleton all year long. Dr. Skull's jaw wide open as if in gleeful, unnerving awe. But the 12-foot skeleton was something else altogether, and he hit us like a first crush. The obsession with Skelly, as he came to be known, started with the help of influencers like Karen and Georgia of the massively popular podcast My Favorite Murder, who mused about their overwhelming desire to own one themselves. I put my eyes on it. Something changed inside me. You could liken it to a religious experience. Mm. You could liken it to love at first sight. Yeah. But I was... Then lavish goth Kourtney Kardashian showed off her skelly in an Instagram story to her 250 million followers. And within a couple weeks, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter were understandably obsessed. And the creative quips started coming in. At Ashley Eleanor wrote, The Home Depot giant skeleton is the only good thing to collectively happen to us this year. I love him. At Rob underscore para three wrote, What if we kissed under the 12-foot Home Depot skeleton? At Pinar wrote, I don't think my boyfriend, the 12-foot skeleton from Home Depot, would be too pleased to hear about this. At Airbag wrote, My wife just left me for the 12-foot skeleton. Fleshing out the meme into a work of art, Anthony Demiri posted his short film, My New Boyfriend, to YouTube. Dating in New York was never easy. After years rotating between finance bros, tech guys, Bushwick dudes with no bed frame... I was ready to give up. Then I finally met someone. He wasn't like the others. He was different. He was tall. He had great bone structure. I was never much of a believer in love at first sight. But when I first met the 12-foot skeleton from Home Depot, it was like, wow, this might actually be the one. 
in much the same way that tweets and memes made Pedro Pascal the internet's daddy of 2023, the 12-foot skeleton became the internet's bone daddy, and he had what appeared to be an almost sexual appeal in 2020. That's how bad we wanted him. The marketing teams at other massive brands quickly noticed Home Depot's viral social media success, and they jumped on the bony bandwagon real quick. Budweiser made a giant beer that fit in the skeleton's hand, one that doubled as a 50-inch body pillow. Natty Light, Slim Jim, Impossible Foods, 1-800-CONTACTS, Come-and-Go Gas Stations, and Life and Time all incorporated Skelly into their own social media ad campaigns. Dunkin' Donuts went a step further. Why do we do it? Why do we push ourselves to the very brink? Why do we put 12-foot skeletons in our yards? Because Thaw. Fall hard with Duncan. Of course, Skelly, like the hot manufactured pop star that he is, had to first be conceived in a corporate boardroom. In order to find inspiration for the next year's Halloween line, the holiday team at Home Depot had been watching classic horror movies, they'd been getting together to visit seasonal haunted attractions, and they had been going to the haunt community's trade shows to see what the big boys in the business were up to. What they noticed immediately was that everything seemed to be getting bigger, overwhelmingly so, including their favorite piece, half a skeleton made to appear as if it were climbing out of the ground. They were awed by the spectacle, but taken aback by the price. Most of the larger props cost thousands of dollars. That's when they started to wonder, could Home Depot make something truly enormous that the macabre of the middle class could reasonably afford? At first, the team pitched a 10-foot skeleton to the higher-ups, and the idea landed. In their collective excitement, they thought, why not spring for two more feet? Let's go higher, they said, higher than anyone thought possible. Then the idea came to add darting digital eyes that would give a spark of spirit to this undead king, and the 12-foot giant-sized skeleton with life eyes, TM LCD eyes, was ready to be designed and then mass-produced. The jubilance within Home Depot's holiday product team was building as the prototypes were coming together. But then, in March of 2020, just six months before their big release, news of a global pandemic sent the world into unprecedented turmoil, followed by local, state, and federal stay-at-home orders, social distancing, mask requirements. I don't need to remind you. The company wondered if Halloween would even be celebrated in such frightening and dire times. The answer was a resounding fuck yes. Outside the window of the studio, Michael, do you see something special outside? That there he is, is yeah. That is one big skeleton. All these skeletons are everything this Halloween. No bones about it. This, my friends, mark my words, the Halloween decoration of 2020. And of course, it's not Halloween. And so, regardless of circumstances, Skelly, as the team had gone on to call him, died into life, packed Tetris-like into thousands of four-foot by four-foot, 85-pound boxes, assembly definitely required. 
Due in large part to the social media hype, the 12-foot skeletons sold out online in a matter of hours when they were launched in September. And soon, the scarcity made him all the more attractive, you know, like a crush who won't return your texts. Home Depot reached the highest quarterly earnings the company had ever seen, and almost immediately, a black market popped up online on Etsy and eBay and Facebook Marketplace, where mint condition skellies were selling for up to $1,300. As people were actually getting their mortal hands on the decoration, pictures were shared and reshared on social media, with Skelly guarding houses with his huge arms up, his skull reaching above the first floor, sometimes standing like a slender man in living rooms with vaulted ceilings, or dressed in creative outfits as part of a larger Halloween yard scene. One viral photo showed a skelly surrounded by a group of human-sized skeletons on their knees, hands raised in worship around this modern savior. Once the decoration sold out, it became a coveted holy relic, something not only to desire, but a kind of pilgrimage site for the secular. People who have snagged a skelly have become de facto neighborhood celebrities, with passerbys stopping for photos daily and sharing them online, as the owners themselves share heartwarming comments and letters that they've received from neighbors about the happiness that the spectacle has brought to their children and to themselves. One review on Home Depot's page for the 12-foot giant-sized skeleton with Life Eyes TM LCD eyes says, Best thing I've ever purchased. This skeleton is the only thing that has cured my depression. I've never been so happy and gotten so many compliments. Now many of the skeletons, which proved to be difficult to take down, disassemble, and store, stay up, dressed for different holidays, Santa outfits for Christmas, pink fuzzy ears and a basket for Easter, a pilgrim getup for Thanksgiving, maybe even a red, white, and blue bikini for the 4th of July. But not all are charmed by this oversized reminder of our own mortality, no matter how hilariously it's dolled up. Facebook groups of 12-foot skeleton fans, which boast tens of thousands of members, often post letters that owners have received from neighbors and representatives of the Homeowners Association, who take umbrage with their gruesome displays. Please take down this hideous monstrosity. Enough is enough. Signed, your upset neighbor. Like we need more evil in our neighborhoods? Municipal Code Chapter 9.52 provides that structures on private property, which are considered health, safety, and fire hazards, constitute a public nuisance. But despite the complaints, Skelly's popularity has held steady. Three years in a row, he has sold out in a matter of hours online. Following the landmark success, Home Depot introduced several more giant spooky offerings in 2021, 2022, and 2023. There's Inferno Skeleton, a fleshier 12-foot skeleton with a pumpkin head. Then there's the 15-foot Towering Phantom and the 12-foot Hovering Witch, along with a 9.5-foot Immortal Werewolf, all priced from about $300 to $400. But none of these decorations reached the same level of obsession as Skelly. Why? What was it about the year 2020 specifically that could have ever spawned a desperation for a funny and frivolous novelty that's also a stark, enormous, yet ultimately harmless reminder of our own mortality? Hmm, I wonder. 
So now, let us explore the centuries-long, oddball lineage that our 12-foot skeleton is a part of in order to figure out what it is about him that made us fall madly in love and how we developed the dark humor that brought him to life. Or I guess, more accurately, brought him to death. In 2004, a small-town high school cheerleading squad in Missouri had finally found the perfect new practice space. When the coaches for the Show Me Spirit All-Stars entered the 100-year-old building, they noticed that something was a little off. As they were tidying up, they found objects left by the eccentric former inhabitants who appeared to be the diametric opposite of the peppy teenage girls. First, they found a very old book labeled IOOF Rituals. Then they found dusty black robes and red cloaks, old handwritten ledgers, and even a series of secret door buzzers and peepholes. But far more disturbing than these occultic oddities were the three very old black wooden coffins that they discovered hidden away in the back of the lodge theater. Creaking open the first two, they found cracking plaster skeletons inside, obviously fake. But when they opened the third coffin, the bones inside looked totally different. Either these were some fantastic antique practical effects, the coaches thought, or this skeleton is fucking real as shit. Soon, whispers burned through the teenage squad until the coaches finally allowed them what they were begging for, to gaze upon the bones. When a parent of one of the girls called the police, it was determined through forensics that yes, this was a real skeleton, most likely placed there a century before. Without any signs of foul play, police declined to investigate further. Their explanation? The new practice space for the Show Me Spirit All-Stars was originally built for a fraternal secret society called the Independent Order of the Oddfellows, and finding real skeletons in their closets was nothing remarkable. In 2001, an electrician in Warrington, Virginia, was checking the wiring of a former Oddfellows Lodge when he came across something large and black wedged into the wall. When he pulled at the objects, he saw a white shroud, and then white candles, and then a full skeleton. He put it like this. You could see the rib cage and the sinew. It was like a Dracula movie. Others have been found in a dusty wardrobe in Washington State, in a cabinet in Oregon, in a dank basement in New Jersey, in a cramped crawlspace in Pennsylvania, as well as in other old buildings in California, Indiana, New York, Oklahoma, Minnesota, and Nebraska, each originally built for or connected to the same secret society. In the early 1900s, during the golden age of fraternal organizations, the Independent Order of Oddfellows was a massive group, boasting 3.4 million members in the United States alone. 
getting its start in 17th century England, like similar fraternal groups such as the Freemasons or the Shriners, the Oddfellows committed themselves to friendship, love, and truth. By and large, using their time for charitable purposes, specifically to visit the sick, relieve the distressed, bury the dead, and educate the orphan. But like most fraternal orders that were popular throughout the last several centuries, their orders required members to go through a series of very weird initiation rituals in order to join their bizarro ranks. So while this certainly begs the question, is this irrefutable proof that shadowy Illuminati-esque secret societies full of elite hooded men really have practiced pagan, satanic, Freemason occult rituals and then covered it all up by hiding the remains of their human sacrifices within the walls of their evil lairs? Probably not. You may have also heard the tales of the real skeletons draped throughout the Pirates of the Caribbean ride in Disneyland. Dead men tell no tales. <laughs> or the swimming pool full of real skeletons that Diane almost drowns in during the climax of the 1982 horror movie Poltergeist. or the real human skeleton found at the end of the 1974 Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Normally, I'd be here to tell you that these stories are nothing more than schoolyard urban legends. But not this time. They're true though accounts differ on whether any of those real skeletons still remain on the pirate's ride today. Is this irrefutable proof that the satanic kingdom of Disneyland, as well as the godless horror movie industry, are the demonic cults that we've long suspected? Probably not. You see, before the 1980s, accurate replicas of skeletons were just really expensive. And if you needed a skeleton for an eccentric ritual, a dark ride, or a movie set, it just made financial sense to buy a real one. Something, it turns out, that was considered pretty normal up until a few decades ago. But of course, Normal is usually kind of fucked up anyway. More after this. You ever notice how finding time and energy to do the most basic human necessity, eat literal food, has become just another exhausting task jammed into our increasingly inhuman schedules? Well, your spring can be a little more stress-free with Factor. Factor will provide you with delicious, never frozen, ready to eat gourmet meals that are chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. Each week, you get to choose from a menu of 35 options to create your perfect breakfast, lunch, or dinner with absolutely no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. And Factor makes sure you get exactly what you want. You can tailor deliveries to your schedule and customize how many meals you want each and every week, and you can pause anytime. So just head to factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 and use code American and Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code American Hysteria 50 at factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Check out Factor today. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And now, back to the show. Toward the middle of the 1900s, medical schools across the West were in need of real articulated skeletons to use as part of each student's training. And in a quickly expanding industry, that was a whole lot of skeletons. But, as you might imagine, these institutions often found it difficult to obtain something like that. And so a London-based medical supply company started outsourcing to a country that Britain had long ago colonized. Around a dozen Indian families out of Calcutta ran a multi-million dollar business by acquiring human bodies, processing them until they were just bleached white bones, and then using wires to create the fully articulated skeletons that buyers were asking for in Europe and America. By the 1970s, many, if not most, of the skeletons seen in any classroom, college, high school, or even elementary school, were real and had been imported from India. The practice understandably upset Indian citizens, as well as the Indian government, and by the 1980s, rumors spread about this gruesome industry. Rumors of the companies stealing bodies from funeral pyres, offering small amounts of money to those still living in exchange for their future dead bodies, and even murdering people to sell their skeletons, though it's difficult to know what was true and what wasn't. The final straw came when the media reported that a bone trader had been caught exporting 1,500 children's skeletons, and mobs of Indian citizens started scouring nearby cities for any of these alleged kidnappers involved in what was being called a network and a conspiracy. In response to this massive public outcry, the Indian government fully banned the export of human remains in 1985, and the Western medical establishment began scrambling to find some kind of skeletal specimens for study. It was beginning to look like they were going to have to rely on the far more expensive replica skeletons, which meant that there was a new demand for cheaper models that came as close as possible to the real thing. There's a shortage of good skeletons. We can't think why. And so when one does turn up, numerous models can be made from it. But assembling one is a tricky business. You've got to know how to handle them bones. The plastic bones are tougher than human bones, so altogether, they're a rattling good idea. When Marshall Cordell graduated from college in the 1970s, you could still buy an articulated human skeleton from the Indian market for about $200, the equivalent of around $950 today. His new small business, the Anatomical Chart Company, was making just that, anatomical medical charts. But as the business grew, he started to expand into three dimensions. He would thumb through the catalogs of the time that featured real skulls and finger bones. As he put it in an interview with Gizmodo, They were literally like an auto parts shop, only with real skeletons. You could buy ear bones. You could buy human teeth. But just a few years after he started his business, the 1985 Indian laws prevented him from selling his most profitable product, human skeletons. But the orders kept flooding in from medical facilities all over the country, so he partnered with a German company that had been producing some of the highest quality, most accurate sets of plastic replica bones. 
The first reproduction, put out by the Anatomical Chart Company, was a life-sized articulated skeleton that Marshall called Budget Bucky. Then came a miniature version, the 16-inch Tiny Tim, and then a medium three-foot skeleton called Mr. Thrifty. All of a sudden, Marshall was moving a lot of fake skeletons, and when some of them inevitably broke, he kept the individual bones in a box. The mid-80s were a time when the consumer aspect of Halloween really started to take off, and the American public began treating the holiday in a similar way to Christmas, the department stores dedicating whole aisles to masks and makeup and decorations. Just for the hell of it, Marshall took out a booth at a Halloween trade show, much like the one that the Home Depot holiday team would eventually find their inspiration. He simply dumped a box of his unusable bones on a folding table with a sign that said $2 a pound. People who ran haunted houses were impressed by the realism these anatomical skeleton parts provided, and they wanted more. In fact, they wanted it all. By 1990, Marshall was selling his bones out of a cart in the Chicago Place Mall. After discovering that regular people wanted these skeletons too, he and his wife opened a store called Bare Bones in the Woodfield Mall outside of Chicago, and then one in the Gurney Mills Mall in Gurney, Illinois. Bare Bones then became one of 330 businesses in the Mall of America when it opened in 1992, and one of the more memorable, as they had, according to Marshall, skeletons embedded in the exterior of the store. If you shop around the Mega Mall, by far the most unique store you'll find is Bare Bones. That's as in bones for sale. That's right, bones or replicas and skulls and anatomy charts. We have everything from a $3 item to $3,000, $3 keychain to a $3,000 anatomical model. That model comes with movable parts. In an old photo I found, not only are skeletons cast in the metal walls outside the shop, but they're also holding hands and waving in the display window, wearing early 90s attire. Another skeleton wearing a pink baseball hat and an XXXL t-shirt with a skeleton body printed on it stands beside four mini multicolored skeletons, and fully articulated skeletons line the wall all the way to the back. Bare Bones also sold their models to prop masters. You can actually see one of theirs in that famous scene from Patch Adams, joking around with Robin Williams, and inside the Treasure Island Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas, dressed as pirates. One of the store's biggest fans was a young Seattle musician named Kurt Cobain of the grunge band Nirvana, who was tipped off to the beauty of Bare Bones by drummer Lori Barbero of the band Babes in Toyland, and he would even use some of their merchandise for his album art for In Utero. Here he is on the Canadian TV station Much Music in 1993. Since I've, I've become a big rock star and, and made a bunch of money. I found this place in, in the Mall of America in Minneapolis that sells nothing but um, medical stuff. It's a medical supply store that's turned in, that they've offered to the public, you know. It, it's really great. I bought all these fetuses and, you know, anatomy men and charts and stuff. And it was like a dream come true, you know, because I've always, you know, I've always been really poor. At the peak of his success, Marshall had dubbed himself, humbly, the Skeleton King of the World. But soon, many other companies caught on to the Halloween craze, and far cheaper and lower quality plastic skeletons flooded the market until they were everywhere, affordable to anyone with a little extra pocket cash. Marshall's market was no longer cornered, and the anatomical chart company would be sold in 1999 to the tune of $17 million. But 
adorably, his son would become the president of his dad's former company in 2005, when they were still selling their skeletons to places like Six Flags, and continuing their quieter project of supplying articulated skeletons to medical schools all over the country. Way back before India became the de facto source of real skeletons used in medical schools and classrooms, students as well as administrators of the 1800s and early 1900s had to figure out where to get not only the bones of the formerly living, but also their cadavers for use in teaching dissection. Without any laws in place for acquiring specimens through ethical means, medical schools hired people to dig up freshly buried corpses, and sometimes med students themselves would complete the task in a kind of weird, fratty rite of passage. Most of the time, they stole the bodies of Black or Indigenous people, those who would be less likely to cause an outcry, as the public was known to riot when they discovered that white bodies had been exhumed. With the accessibility of photography coming in the second half of the 1800s, medical colleges marked dissection as another rite of passage, taking class pictures gathered around these cadavers and skeletons. By the turn of the century, a major craze swept through universities in America, as well as many countries in Europe, with students starting to take funny photographs, goofing off in creative ways with these human remains of dubious origin. Let me set the scenes for you. A group of skeletons are sitting around a table with playing cards fanned out in their bony hands, cigarettes jammed in their jaws, lit and actually smoking. A skeleton appears to be pouring wine for a group of students playing cards. Two skeletons dressed as sailors also play cards and smoke, others doing the same while wearing jaunty newsboy caps. One shows a student with his arm around a skeleton who's wearing a Sherlock Holmes hat, smoking a pipe and holding a liquor bottle. In fact, a lot of skeletons have their arms around a lot of medical students. In large group photos, skeletons often appear riding on the shoulders of one of these students with its arm slung over two others, just one of the boys, just one of the privileged scamps. Another common trope in these pictures was the staging of a dissection in which the skeletons or cadavers were the dissectors and the student laid out on a table became the dissected, with the image usually titled a student's dream. Women training to be nurses were not immune to this odd rite of passage, seen in one photo to be potentially giving a manicure and pedicure to a skeleton who's sitting between them in a blanket-covered rocking chair. Another features a woman being embraced by the skeleton, sitting on a bed as if she's being comforted, not unlike the boyfriend, I would say, that many have made of our modern 12-foot skeleton. In fact, many of these photos look like Halloween fake skeleton scenes that you'd find set up on a dedicated neighborhood lawn, posted by passers-by on social media who pose beside them in similar, jocular fun. Some of these photos were even made into cartes de visite, pictures that were collected in ornate photo albums at the turn of the century, meant to sit in parlors and be thumbed through by visitors, very much like a profile on social media. Real human skeleton photos could be found next to family members posing with dogs or cats, riding bicycles, or gathered together for a typical family portrait. These images were even turned into postcards that were especially popular around Easter due to the resurrection theme. 
long before the scientific breakthroughs that marked the modern era of medicine when our boys were monkeying around with corpses at elite universities, death was a much bigger mystery. And keeping it at bay was far more difficult and a far more symbolic task. Along with famines, natural disasters, and stark economic inequality, Europeans of the 13 and 1400s also endured a mysterious and brutal illness, the bubonic plague, which caused citizens to daily face unprecedented suffering and death. Loved ones died suffering right before their eyes, and there was a constant grinding reality that at any moment anyone could be next. The art of the time began grappling with this horrific truth, creating an entirely new genre that used a kind of dark humor to vent their anxiety by attempting to have some fun with this ever-present specter of death. Becoming all the rage across Europe by the 1400s, this genre, known as danse macabre, or the dance of death, showed up in paintings and drawings and woodcuts and sculptures and poems and plays and music. Images show skeletons dancing in wild circles together while playing instruments. I mean, really busting it out. Or they show happy skeletons holding hands with mortals, dancing them to their graves. This art was also a kind of political commentary, showing skeletons leading every part of the hierarchy, peasants, merchants, popes, and kings, to their final end, a message to those with power as well as those without that all will become equal eventually in the great eye sockets of death. In the 1600s, another horrific wave of the plague would kill off people by the tens of thousands, eventually taking out almost a quarter of the entire population of London. By the 1700s, the plague was again spreading through Europe, and though it didn't reach Britain this time, there was still a sense of impending doom, and new versions of dance macabre art accompanied the anxiety. Creative impresarios started to design mechanical marvels that toured through Europe throughout the 1700s, and a spin-off of the danse macabre came in the form of the great-great-great-great-great-grandfather of the 12-foot skeleton. Appearing in London in 1716, he was known as the Moving Skeleton, and his presence was announced in the London Daily Current. Aside a woodblock print illustration of this mechanical marvel, an advertisement described the show like this. In less than a minute, after the cafe is unlocked, the door is thrown open by an invisible spring. The curtain which hangs before it gently draws up out of sight, which presents to your view a human skeleton with an hourglass in one hand and a dart in the other. He first raises the hand with the hourglass, which has a few sands to run. And when those are spent, he raises the other hand with the dart and makes three offers with it as if striking at a person. He then opens his mouth and groans three times like a dying person. Most surprising. He then again, with his jaw, strikes the hour passed on a bell. He lets down his hand with the hourglass. He lets down his hand with the dart. A pipe of tobacco being put in his mouth, he lights it himself. He blows the candle out and smokes his pipe as naturally as any living person can do, till being gently moved with a stick, upon which he immediately opens his jaw for the pipe to be taken from him. The curtain then falls down in its place, and all is over. More after this. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And now, back to the show. Join our fellowship of brothers in the song of truth and love. Leave disputes and strife to Now let's return to the suspicious skeletons found in our odd fellows' closets in the last handful of decades. As I said before, these were not the bones of the secret society's sacrificed victims, no matter how tempting it is to believe. They were actually obtained in the most American way possible, straight from a mail-order catalog. Demolin Brothers and Company was the premier spot for all your fraternal necessities, whether you're a Freemason, a Shriner, an Elk, or an Eagle. We're talking about a gorgeous selection of robes, chalices, daggers, and prank items for every occasion, like their mechanical goats, their canned snakes, their fake branding irons, their collapsing chairs, along with one section that included real, genuine, deodorized skeletons for the low, low price of $100. Perhaps the most important Oddfellow ritual involved coming face-to-face with a skeleton. It went something like this. First, the initiate was covered in heavy chains and taken into a hidden room wearing a hoodwink, which were basically goggles that had little built-in curtains that acted as a blindfold. Used in many fraternal lodge initiations all the way back to the Freemasons, what was sometimes called the Chamber of Reflection was decorated with rows of burning candles. When the blindfold was removed, the initiates found themselves face to bony face with a skeleton, which would be made to say something ominous or emit a kind of death rattle. This process was meant to force the prospective member to confront his own mortality, to let him know that no matter what he did in his life, no matter who he was, he could not escape inevitable death. But oftentimes, they would instead use another of Skelly's early relatives to get their symbolic points across. You see, the odd fellows, rather than serious shrouded figures cutting their fingers on daggers and somberly bleeding onto unfamiliar symbols to conjure otherworldly power, were just merry pranksters with a hope of some kind of simple spiritual transcendence. Sometimes, at the end of the series of other rituals, the hopeful member would kneel at an altar in a kind of last reflection, waiting to be given a speech about death and morality, and to finally be accepted into the order. But instead, the Odd Fellows would employ another product from the DeMolin Brothers & Co. catalog on a page titled, Things are not what they seem. 
The description, alongside an image of a fake plaster skeleton rising from a tall wooden box, went like this. The candidate kneels before the altar in all meekness and sincerity to take the obligation. How thankful he is that it is all over, that all he has to do is to pledge himself not to reveal the secrets of the sublime degrees through which he has just passed, when lo, the room is darkened. Up before him jumps a skeleton with large illuminated glaring eyes. A blank cartridge is exploded. A stream of water hits him in the face and an electric shock is shot into his knees. The real and fake skeletons used in the initiation rituals of the Odd Fellows had a single purpose that was almost identical to the danse macabre art of the centuries prior to force him to confront the fact of it so he could let go of the fear that held him back in life. It was also a lesson in humility, as seen in their spitting skeleton confrontation. The test was this. Could the potential odd fellow laugh at himself while still being reminded of death? Could he laugh with death while still taking it seriously enough? At last you've got it all. Everything I have. Even my life. But you're not going to live to enjoy it. Come with me. Almost 250 years after the mechanical moving skeleton toured a plague-frightened London, we can find yet another version of the danse macabre and a much more recent relative to Skelly, who appeared after years of terror centering around another mysterious disease called polio and the knowledge that Americans could at any moment be blown to bits by a Cold War atomic bomb. In horror producer William Castle's 1959 film House on Haunted Hill, he used perhaps the first official 12-foot skeleton when he created one of his most famous movie theater gimmicks. In his film, a skeleton, reportedly a real one from India, backs a screaming woman into a pool of acid. Right at the climax of the scene, a blow-up 12-foot skeleton would fly out from above the screen and soar over the audience below, causing fits of frightened laughter, with unruly kids and teens throwing their popcorn at it, even trying to shoot it down with BB guns. The campiness of the whole experience disarmed the audience, and coming face to face with the most potent symbol of death became a rip-roaring good old time, just plain neato. Less than 30 years later, the commercial Halloween boom of the 1980s, in which Marshall Cordell helped spark a mass-produced skeletal revolution, the discovery of the HIV virus had caused a massive panic, and the specter of nuclear war yet again shrouded the American consciousness. Our unique position as perhaps the only animal on Earth who can contemplate our own mortality as the only species with an underlying current of anxiety flowing through our subconscious at any given time means that we have to figure out ways to deal with this terrifying knowledge, ways to keep thoughts of it at bay so we can function in the ways we need to. There have been many studies that point toward dark humor as a balm in dire circumstances. We're able to transform the fears we have into something we can more easily handle, to process them through a more pleasurable lens. Our laughter is a way to vent our anxiety physically, to literally release endorphins, providing a way to self-medicate against our terror. 
There is plenty of evidence that what we find funny also connects us, strengthens our social bonds, something we desperately need in a time of mystifying disconnection and division, and something we've obviously found in the millions of meme interactions on social media and the neighborhood connections that have formed around the towering, ridiculous beast that is Home Depot's 12-foot skeleton. But at the same time, distancing oneself too far from death's seriousness can make for truly ugly outcomes. We can look back to the colonized nation of India that provided skeletons for Western consumption, usually bodies of the impoverished. We can look back to the grave robbers who took bodies of Black and Indigenous people with impunity to use for their dissection training. The medical students who were using gallows humor, dark humor, to deal with death as well, appear hauntingly callous when one looks beyond the gags of their little skeleton scenes. So the question becomes, how do we treat death with the respect and dignity that it deserves while also finding a way to deal with it? Because one way or another, it will eventually come to deal with us. Perhaps in something like a giant plastic lawn skeleton, we can find an innocuous homage to the grand spectacle of ever-present death. Opinions of the HOA and pearl-clutching citizens aside. When you think about it, the shape of any skeleton's face is already permanently smiling. Creak open its jaw, and it looks like it's cackling at a cosmic joke imperceptible to ridiculous mortals like us. And in this way, it feels like there's something irreverent about our very bones, a joke already inside us that we're trying to catch up with, trying to learn the right way to tell. Many Americans lack a sense of how to deal with death in a culture that tries to repress this fear as much as possible. Death used to be close to us. We used to take care of our loved ones at home, during and after their passing, without the distance that hospitals and the funeral industry now provide. Not only that, but many of us lack the connection of shared rituals around death that help us process our fear and grief. And whether we're conscious of it or not, we are as desperate for sacred rites and symbolic art as we always have been. Centuries of skeletal dealings transforming into the plastic catacombs we now walk through in the millions of seasonal aisles of America. I think a visit to any 12-foot plastic skeleton is a pilgrimage, a secular rite of passage, a ultimately harmless way to face the towering reality of death during a Halloween celebration when we make all we fear into all we love. Or maybe it's just a fucking awesome prop. And, as is often the case, I'm just a ridiculous mortal, grasping at meaning among the ever-present chaos of the unknowable universe. This morning, coronavirus back on the rise in more than half the country. The White House warning at least 18 states are now in the so-called red zone after showing a worrisome surge in new cases in August. Meanwhile, the CDC is out with a new warning for parents ahead of Halloween. We don't want Halloween to be this massive transmission event. Just like the waves of plague that produced the dance macabre, we faced the confusing, baffling, frightening year of 2020 during a global pandemic that changed everything about everything that we've ever known. And as the fear of our mortality grew, our plastic skeletons grew as well to unprecedented heights. 
Perhaps this can explain the proliferation of memes about the hotness of our 12-foot bone daddy. Only this time, laughing with death wasn't quite enough. So we started objectifying him, too, daydreaming about holding his enormous hand, about gazing into his life-eyes TM LCD eyes, desiring to feel alive beside the manic pixie dream boy that he's always been. As Matthew Lieb said in his essay, Funny Bones, if we must suffer death, we've decided that until that time, death must suffer us as well. If we can't get a hold of our own 12-foot skeleton from Home Depot, if he won't text us back, I guess we'll go stand outside of his house, begging our tall, dark, and handsome dead man to make us laugh, to take us out dancing, and to let us make it official in a ritual of modern American love, so we can finally call him our boyfriend. This was American Hysteria. Thank you so much for joining us for this Halloween special. If you want to get more of our show, you can head to patreon.com slash American Hysteria or subscribe on your Apple Podcast app. You'll get ad-free episodes as well as bonus content, including another podcast I do with producer Miranda called Hysteria Home Companion, where we tell you stories that were cut from the episode and discuss our feelings about making the show as well. That's patreon.com slash American Hysteria or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We'd also love if you'd leave us a message on our Urban Legends hotline. Just tell us a teenage tale you remember from growing up, and if it sparks joy within us, we'll do a full investigation into the story and give to all of you our findings. Just go to AmericanHysteria.com and find the Urban Legends hotline. We also have a live show coming up in Portland, Oregon on December 6th with You're Wrong About, and it's called A Massive Seance Holiday Spectacular for the Living and Dead. So if that sounds up your alley, just head to the link in our episode notes and you can get tickets today. American Hysteria is written, produced, and hosted by me, Chelsea Weber-Smith. Our sound designer is Clear Camo Studios. Our research assistant is Riley Swidelius-Smith. And our producer is Miranda Zickler. Thanks, as always, for listening. And remember, the skeleton in me recognizes the skeleton in you. And I hope you have a great Halloween.